When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, Pinks, my friend. It's been a while. Hello. How are you? I know, I've missed you. (laughs) You look actually disconcertingly tanned. Miami, baby. Yeah, I know, but I thought you were working. Well, pretending. But I actually spent so long in a queue in Miami behind (laughs) a wall of celebrities that I was just in the sunshine the whole time. Every cloud, every cloud. It was manic. It was wonderful. But uh, you weren't at that race, Pinks. But what were you doing that weekend? Well, you may be referring to the fact that I took my mum to her first ever football match, Brentford-Southampton, 3-0. She's now our lucky charm. But you may also be referring to the fact we went to the BAFTAs and we only went and won. We being Sky F1 for your coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last year, right? Well, you know what I would say? It wasn't just Sky F1. It was F1 as well. It was the co-production, if you will, but also recognition of the sport as a whole. The fact that it's being globally acknowledged in a way that I don't think I can ever remember. It seems more popular than ever. It seems more open than ever. And yeah, it's a real buzz. It's a real buzz that people everywhere are starting to really wake up and enjoy the sport that we've loved for so long. What happens at the BAFTAs then? Can you just talk me through it? You are... <laughs> can't possibly tell you. <laughs> what, you can't, I can't remember? can't possibly tell you because I can't remember. <laughs> there may have been one or two Aperol spritz. But what happens? You arrive, there's a red carpet. I tell you what, you arrive really, really early. So we had to be there at 2 p.m. And of course, we're therefore refreshing our phone every few seconds to get updates on the race because we can't watch it. And um, yeah, you're sort of filed in and do the whole red carpet business. And then it's a very long as live show. But it's amazing. It's a who's who of drama, news, comedy, sports. It was brilliant. And then describe the moment when you were announced as the winners. How did it feel? We were just so in shock that I, I have no recollection of what I actually said in that moment. And there may have been a few expletives. And then, and then it was a really long walk down to the stage. And I was in really high heels, which I've never mastered walking in. So I thought I'm going to just wipe out any minute. Um, but yeah, what a buzz. I mean, genuine adrenaline rush and um, thrilling. And then you're taken backstage and they give you a glass of champagne. And then there's a sort of bank of photographers And you answer all these questions and yeah, I I have to say I was gutted that the rest of the team weren't there. I missed my teammates, but um, I think they were having quite a lot of fun in Miami. Yeah, they were. And then, of course, the next instalment, Pinks, this coming weekend in Spain, race six. Yes, yes. Let's preview it. Let's do that, TC. Welcome to F1 Nation as we look ahead to the Spanish Grand Prix with Tom Clarkson and Natalie Pinkham. So, Pinks, a lot of people associate the Spanish Grand Prix with a bit of a drone fest. It's been on the calendar since 1991. Not all the races have been brilliant. There's high hopes coming into this one that the new regs are going to deliver. What are your expectations? Well, I'm always 
pretty excited about the Spanish Grand Prix because traditionally it represents the first European race of the season. It normally means there's a huge raft of upgrades up and down the paddock and we see a bit of a shuffle in the pecking order. I feel like we come back to a place that we know and love. I think it's a real indicator as to where each team really is because it's the circuit that offers up a bit of everything and tests a bit of everything and I have to say TC the thing I am most interested in this year is the fact that you can't just chuck money at the problem you have to be discerning you have to be tactical you cannot bring continuous development throughout 2022 because of the budget cap. So we're seeing teams tested in a way that they just haven't been before. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to keep this championship interesting, we kind of need Ferrari to leapfrog ahead of Red Bull this weekend. They're bringing their first big upgrade of the season, as Red Bull did two races ago in Imola. And we need them to leapfrog ahead so that when Red Bull do the same in a few races time, they then leapfrog ahead and you're going to see that's how I think we're going to see the season go it's going to be a case of leapfrogging ahead of your nearest rival and then it's whoever it's almost last man standing at the end of the year so uh, remember the Australian Grand Prix a couple of races ago Charles Leclerc dominated that race and since then it's been all about Max Verstappen uh, because he's had a load of upgrades on his car so let's see if the pendulum swings back well talking of pendulum swinging it's quite interesting because as you touched upon Red Bull have had an advantage over Ferrari in terms of straight line performance with Ferrari choosing a higher downforce approach to perform in the medium and slow speed corners. And yet in the sort of fairly controversial chicane in Miami, the T1415, it was Verstappen who was outperforming the Ferrari. So how do you explain that? Well, it's not all about straight line speed. Is 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 you know, I think the headline has been, oh, look, if you look at the speed trap, the Red Bull is faster. But there's obviously a lot more to the upgrades they brought to the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix a couple of races ago. Because Bonotto was saying that because of the downforce, the wing configuration, it meant that um, the lack of speed on the straights could be gained in the corners. And yet that wasn't necessarily the case in Miami with Christian Horner saying that Miami was actually more suited to their car. So, I mean, I just don't think you can necessarily make these assumptions when you go into to a race. I mean, we, we, we said that all throughout last year as well, didn't we? There were three DRS zones in Miami. So it did all become about uh, straight line speed. And it, was, it wasn't it was that easy to overtake. Let's not forget it was a, a street circuit. But what Ferrari don't want to do is lose that slow speed traction because we've got Monaco just two weeks time. And uh, remember how fantastic those cars were in Monaco last year. We didn't see them win the race. Max Verstappen won that race, obviously. But Charles Leclerc on pole couldn't oh, start the race because of the don't. damage, remember? <laughs> and now I feel, actually, he's used up his bad luck for this year in Monaco. Because for anyone who watched the Monaco historic, they'll know that Charles Leclerc crashed Nicky Lauda's Ferrari. I mean, there was just gasps everywhere, weren't there? No, not again. Have you seen yes, footage of it? It's so painful. I know, it really is. But I feel, I feel... That's the bad luck gone. Talking of bad luck, Pinks, do we think Carlos Sainz has now turned the corner? Well, getting a podium in Miami was a, a bit of a shot in the arm, much needed for him. But this is a big one, isn't it? It's his home race. By the way, to think that they nearly didn't have a Spanish Grand Prix and now they're having to build extra grandstands to accommodate the demand. It's just brilliant. To the earlier point about uh, this 
global recognition and acknowledgement of Formula One. It's just growing and growing. It's just so exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It seems to be such a buzz around F1 at the moment. And hopefully that will lift Carlos. I mean, wouldn't it be great to see him get his first win of the season in front of um, the home crowd? Oh, he so needs it. And I felt there was a weight lifted off his shoulders in Miami. Luckily, in a way, what happened at Imola wasn't really his fault. It was just a, an unfortunate collision between himself and Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, but, but that kind of level of detail gets forgotten. All you see is the result sheets. No, but I think in his own mind, it yeah. wasn't his fault. Whereas right. I think I think he was probably thinking, help, I could have done things differently in Melbourne. But he just needed a bit of a boost. And, um, and I think he said as much after the race, didn't he? I really needed that. Not only for my own confidence, but for the team's confidence in me and just sort of re-establishing a bit of an equilibrium within that Ferrari garage. And oh, I'm starting to get goosebumps just thinking about him getting that first Grand Prix win at home in Barcelona. Don't jinx it. Don't oh, jinx it. Sorry. Sorry. And of course, you've got Fernando Alonso there as well. Doesn't he need a big race? Oh, Fernando Alonso, two points. Two, two points. Two points. <laughs> so we've got Carlos, 51 points behind his teammate. And we've got Fernando Alonso, who really has promised so much through this season with just two points and his teammate, 22 points ahead of him. It's crazy, isn't it? But I just think he has had a lot of bad luck as well. So yeah, things have got to change for our Spanish friends and I'm sure they will. Now, can you believe it, Tom? It has been six years since Max Verstappen's win on his debut for Red Bull at Barcelona. If you look at those pictures, he looks so fresh-faced. It's only six years. I mean, we've yeah, probably looked a lot yeah, more fresh-faced yeah. as well. Pinks, as you mentioned that, I'm just shaking my head. Do you remember? I remember it so vividly. Yeah, yeah. And, and just Kimi Räikkönen sat on his gearbox for lap after lap. Have you heard the clip from our Dutch friends as he crosses the line? Oh, yes. Wonderful. Yo, hey! Yo, ho! Yo, The first of 23 wins, and I'm sure many more still to come for Max Verstappen. Will it come, though, in Barcelona? Well, there's every chance, but it depends on what Ferrari do with their upgrades, doesn't it? But, I mean, the, the Red Bull is going to be a good car, and I think everyone is going to be helped by the fact that, of course, the first pre-season test was at Barcelona back in February. So they've all got some reference points and they're all going to arrive, even the ones that don't have any upgrades, they'll arrive with a very good setup on their car already. So Red Bull are going to be quick and Sergio Perez is going to be a, a again, is going to be a, a, a fantastic wingman for Max Verstappen as well. So both of the Ferrari drivers have got to be on form this weekend because you know that both Red Bulls will be. Checo Perez is that good. He he doesn't have the 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 peaks are not as high as Max Verstappen's, but he's a very very consistent driver and he's doing an exceptional job for Red Bull. So he will be right up there uh, with his team leader. So the question is: Is the Red Bull currently the best car? I mean, we always have this conversation with Damon. Which car would you rather be in right now, the Ferrari or the Red Bull? Christian Horner's made a point of saying this week that their main goal is weight saving, the significance that that has on tyre deg. And I guess that's been a headache, not just for them. For all the teams. In fact, all the teams except Alfa Romeo, they're the only ones that came in uh, on the weight limit um, of 798. But it's interesting how actually that weight's a really good point, Pinks, how the weight is actually affecting all of the teams. And Ferrari, their Achilles heel 
if they've had one so far this year, has been tyre deg, particularly the front tyres. So, yes, they're all going to be trying to scrape some weight off. I mean, some of the teams at that Barcelona pre-season test were 20 kilos over the weight limit, which is kind of unheard of in F1 history, but that's how hard it is with the safety updates that have been made over the winter and, of course, uh, the heavier wheels, etc. It's been really, really hard this year to to make the weight limit. And um, you look at the Williams, look at the Red Bull as well. There's just carbon fibre everywhere. There's very little paint on these cars because they're saving weight wherever they can. In terms of these other upgrades up and down the paddock, Am I right in thinking that the Aston Martin is a full B-spec car come Barcelona? I mean, they need an overhaul, but this seems a massive well, one. Well, if you mention B-spec car to people like Mike Crack, their team principal, they'll say, no, 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 what is a B-spec car? But what they are doing is bringing a serious upgrade. Every bit of that car has been analysed and, and they're bringing lots of upgrades. They haven't been specific yet as to what they will be. They will have to, of course, before we turn up, because they. one of the new things for this year is that they have to inform the FIA prior to each race what is different on each of the cars before arriving at a Grand Prix. So we will know before first practice on Friday what uh, what is new on the Aston Martin. But my goodness, they really do need it, don't they? Because what are they, P9 in the World Championship now? And that's only thanks, really, to that wet, dry race at Imola where both of their drivers, but particularly Sebastian Vettel, really um, excelled in those conditions. And, you know, other drivers like Carlos Sainz had some misfortune as well. But yeah, Aston really needs something. Talking of Vettel, can we just have a quick Sebastian Vettel appreciation moment? Popping up on question time, holding his own in that cauldron of opinion and debate and visiting Feltham Young Offenders, which... You know, I don't know. He just, for me, kind of continues to surprise and delight. And he does it in quite a low-key, chilled-out way. Doesn't, there's no big fanfare. He does it for the right reasons. He was so impressive, wasn't he? And, and for, yeah. for people listening outside the UK, Question Time is a flagship current affairs show on the BBC television programme. And, and it's normally, you know, a couple of MPs and a couple of celebrities, I suppose you could call the other guests and Sebastian was one of those and he held his own talking about a wide variety of topics in his second language all of it related to the UK not his home country Germany and yeah he nailed it and you feel that all the time I mean I I don't think this by the way in any way detracts or distracts from his day job but you do feel in a way that he is is paving a course for himself when he does decide to leave 100% let's talk about Mercedes a step forward, would you say, in Miami, thanks to the updated front and rear wing? Do you feel like they're finding their way now? Or do you think a whole new concept rethink is on the cards? Well, they flattered only to then deceive in, in Miami. I felt after Friday practice, uh, George Russell was quickest. And there was definitely a spring in the step of all the guys who worked in the team. And then the performance just slipped away over the weekend and... They ended up pretty much where they've been all season as the third fastest team. But perhaps that performance on Friday has given them a few pointers as to where they need to go. And of course, they're going back to Barcelona where they uh, first tested the car in February. That was a different spec car. It had the wider side pods when they were there in February. So it will have given them slightly different data, but at least they can sort of back to back this car with what they saw 
back in February. So the, the, the learning will continue. But to go back to your point earlier, Pinks, about the, the budget cap, how much have Mercedes spent on this car trying to sort it out? And at some point, the money's going to run out. And they're going to have to make a decision of, right, are we going to switch everything onto the 2023 car? And this is uncharted territory for them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Mikey Elliott, their new technical director, he was in Miami. I, it's always quite unusual to see technical directors at flyaway races this early in the season because they're still, most of them are back at the factory uh, getting those first upgrades on the car, overseeing things. So for Mikey to be at, the track in Miami, I felt was unusual and that we saw it just sort of it, it pointed to them still trying to work out how best to run the car at the track and that he was just trying to guide the likes of Andrew Shovlin and James Valls, give them any help he can as to from setup point of view. Also getting from them any ideas as to, to what they need to focus on back in the factory with upgrades. But I mean, this is this is a huge race for Mercedes. You know, look back to last year. They outwitted Red Bull. Lewis Hamilton doing a two-stop to Max's one-stop to win the race. Lewis on pole position. 12 months is a long time in Formula One, isn't it? And, you know, who would have said that George Russell, George Russell, new to Mercedes, would be the only driver on the grid to have finished in the top five at every Grand Prix this year. I, I'm in danger of becoming a George Russell fanboy because I think what he has done this year is exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. He's come into the biggest team in Formula One, which has had a huge reputation, eight consecutive Constructors' Championships. He hasn't been overwhelmed. He's just knuckled down and delivered every single time he's gone on the track. It's been fantastic. Yeah, and he's also played it down. I really appreciate that. I, I've noticed that every time he comes for an interview after quality or the race, he plays it down. He doesn't enjoy the fact that he is doing incredibly well because he recognises that the bigger picture isn't so pretty for Lewis or the team. And he's, you know, he's handling that brilliantly. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Now, I'm excited about McLaren Pinks. Are you? Yeah. You are? Yeah. They were fastest when we were in Barcelona in February. I feel that they found a bit of consistency with their car now. I think it could be a decent weekend for, for Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. Well, you know, I got my hopes up for them after Imola when Lando was on the podium there. And then, of course, Miami was just oh, frustrating, wasn't it? No fault of Lando's and, and Daniel was relegated a couple of places, wasn't he, with that time penalty which actually, ironically, had he not been, because he said, you know, well, you know, really, it doesn't make such a difference going from 11th to 13th. But actually, with Fernando's time penalties, he could have been promoted to within the points. So that, that you know, I know it's a single point, but it's quite a symbolic one, isn't it? But they must have left Miami a bit downbeat. In fact, I saw them all the following day because... I was at McLaren for the women's wildcard for esports, trying to get more women and girls into sim racing. 
and esports because there's a significant lack of them. Anyway, um, they all looked exhausted. They just said it was just so full on. They're, I think obviously Zach being American and being in Miami and the demands on the team were, as you've touched on, incredibly high. But to then not walk away from all that buzz with a double points finish must have been frustrating. I'm sure it was. As you say, you know, two weeks on from Imola, they were expecting more. But I think we're going back to a racetrack now that suits their car more. There have been braking issues, but there aren't any really heavy stops in Barcelona. There's one at the end of the back straight, but then the rest of it's fast and flowing. And, and I just hope it suits their car more. And a man I'd like to see up there is Daniel Ricciardo. I felt... He was bowled a bit of a googly at the weekend in that during qualifying, he couldn't start his car. A bit like Carlos mm. Sainz in uh, Australia a few races back. Well, he looked really good in Q1. It's always Daniel, promising yeah. a lot. When push came to shove in Q2, they couldn't start the t- car, which meant he had to rush his outlap and his tyres were in the wrong window. And the gap to Lando as a result, I think, looked bigger than it actually was. But that's amazing, isn't it? How this year... In so many of the teams, you've got a driver who seems to be doing really well and then a driver who, not struggling, but just is suffering from bad luck. And you talk of Carlos Sainz, you talk of Fernando Alonso. I think you can include Daniel Ricciardo in that bracket. Even Pierre Gasly, I think, is having a tough time of it from a luck point of view this year. Well, and then you know, and then you can go further back down the grid and you've got Nicholas Latifi. And so it does seem to be a game of two halves in so many of the teams. But I just think for Daniel, Zach, a couple of weeks ago on this show was was bigging up Lando and saying, well, later this year, we're going to start talking to Daniel about his future with the team. And yes, he's got 2023 already, but we need to start thinking about the future beyond then. And, and Daniel just needs to get some results, doesn't he? He really does. And that win in Italy, as great as it was, does seem like a long time ago now, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But a guy who doesn't need any more of a boost, Pinks, is Valtteri Bottas. I am such a fan. Okay, but hang on a minute. Would he not have been a bit disappointed to let those two Mercedes, his old team, pass him in Miami? Yes, of course. He's a racing driver and they're all massively competitive. But flip side of that is that I think a seventh place is still a great result for Alfa Romeo. And, um, you know, it was one moment of outbreaking, wasn't it, that allowed them through, you know, and he is still uh, just one point behind Lewis Hamilton in the World Championship. And he actually said after the race, he told us that I am really happy with this team. I am really happy with this team and and just the the buzz. So much so he's bared his buttocks (laughs) in a stream. You saw that. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, check out Valtteri's Instagram account. Because once again, we've seen a little bit too much body of Bottas. I'd like to get your thoughts on Williams then, because Alex Albon, even the tough Natalie Pinkham, can only Mm. be complimentary about Alex Albon, surely. Yes, I would say, though, that he is flattering that car at the moment. I don't think the car is as good as it could or should be. I think Alex Albon has got a new lease of life, new lease of racing life. I think he is he's driving really well. I feel like he's relaxed. I feel like he's undertaken a leading role in that team and that suits him quite well. And it's not under the, the glare of the, the Red Bull spotlight. Yeah, in the same way that Bottas, I think, has yeah. had the, the post 
pressure bounce. He's sort of left the pressure cooker environment of being Lewis Hamilton's teammate and it's excelling. Albon's doing the same. Or maybe, yeah. as people keep saying, it's the red hair. It might just be that, mightn't it? Well, he can't get rid of it now. He can't risk it. It's like Samson and his locks. Don't <laughs> don't risk trimming it. Just keep the red mop. Uh, do you like the look? I do. I like the story behind it. Yeah, it's a great story, isn't it? He visited an orphanage out in Thailand and the kids did it. The kids dyed his hair and he rather liked it. And uh, it became a bit of a thing between him and the children. And so he's kept it up now. Although I do think the kids actually did a better job when he went to the salon. Well, Pinks, it's time for our first guest of the show. He's a familiar face on Spanish TV and now on F1 TV as well. His Fabrega lessons on F1 Tech are legendary. But before all that, he was a Formula One mechanic at Super Aguri. And uh, it's a very warm welcome to Albert Fabrega. Albert, how are you? Hi, Tom. Thank you very much. It's a real, uh, a real pleasure to, to be with you today. Now, look, before we talk Formula One, where are you? What are you doing? I believe there's a bit of a story. Yeah, yeah. I'm on my way to Madrid. Uh, I'm doing, a, let's say, a tour around Spain that started in Barcelona, in Circuit de Barcelona. And I stopped in Valencia, Albacete. I went to Sevilla. And now I'm, I'm on my way to, to Madrid with a, an auto caravan where uh, we fit a, a proper sim racing simulator. And uh, yeah, we are doing like a raffle within the people that is uh, coming where we're stopping with the caravan, racing one lap to Barcelona with the Formula One uh, game. And uh, yeah, we will give two fantastic tickets. The one that is winning the, the raffle to see in the circuit, the, the Spanish Formula One Grand Prix. That sounds magnificent. And it sounds like a great promotional tool for the race. It doesn't feel, though, like you need it. We hear the demand for the Spanish Grand Prix has exceeded all expectations and there's just a massive appetite for Formula One in Spain at the moment, which I guess is no surprise when you consider you've got Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso as two of your home heroes. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, you're right. There's a lot of expectation, a lot of excitement for for the race. And it, and for me, it, it makes a little bit more uh, significant to do this because everyone wanted to sell, to buy tickets for the Grand Prix so everything is sold out and there is uh, still a lot of people who are excited to go to the Grand Prix. So everyone was uh, was coming to us uh, to participate, to get that lab in, in the simulator, to see how we managed to fit that simulator in in auto caravan. That has not been easy. It's never been done before with an, 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 uh, a simulator like this. And for me, it's, it's a real pleasure to see the people getting where we are and uh, and uh, trying to get that two ticket it means that everyone is really excited here in Spain to to see and to to assist to that race albert you have a a technical bent so tell us what can we expect from an upgrades point of view this weekend let's start with ferrari uh, do you think they've got what it takes to leapfrog ahead of red bull I don't, I don't, we don't know that they, they there is a, a pack coming to to barcelona big upgrade apparently that, that you, you know the upgrades that are no are big or, or was small uh, till you put them on on the track. So we will see. We, we are expecting uh, Ferrari to to do a step forward because, as uh, we see on the last race, Red Bull is a little bit ahead of, of them in all senses. So uh, they need to to step up uh, uh, a, a bigger step, I would say, if they want to keep that uh, that momentum to Red Bull to try to to stay on top uh, and keep that that leading position that they are on construction and 
and also Andre was with with uh, Charles Leclerc. And Albert, how difficult and different is the challenge this year in terms of the development war when you consider the cost cap implications? Yeah, that, that's a good question because we, we don't know. And I think that uh, uh, the teams are discovering how, how to manage this. Uh, it's difficult for the big teams, for the for the big brothers, let's say, to go down to the limit of the budget in order to develop the car. We have seen Red Bull doing an, an approach very aggressive in terms of upgrades on, on the beginning of the of the season. And we will see how, how the other teams uh, react. Uh, Binotto was saying last race, they are really surprised about that uh, level of upgrades uh, of Red Bull. And we will see how Ferrari reacts and how the other big teams uh, like Mercedes are, are getting difficulties to to improve the car. It's, it's not easy for them to, to react to this, but it's more difficult if we have in account that they are in a in a budget cap that is limiting a lot what they want to do and how they how they want to do it. So, yeah, I think that that uh, we will see how they manage this and how they can react to, to this situation that has not been easy for them, but it's going to be more difficult as the season is moving forward. That's a really good point. When you, when you talk about Mercedes, it would have been much easier for them to navigate their way out of their current problems in a, any previous year in Formula One, wouldn't it? For sure, for sure. I'm pretty much sure about that. Uh, and and they showed on the last years that it's not been easy to, for them. It's not been like they have the, the, the best car every single year, but they could react very quick to the problems they faced on the last on the last seasons. And uh, because they were a strong team working in a in a very, I would say, oiled machinery, uh, it was really well set up. And and, uh, and that has changed uh, this, this season. It's not only this season, it was last season already. So that soft landing for the big structures that is, is, is already set it up. So I think that has had an, a big impact to, to the structure. And uh, for them, it's, it's more difficult. You, you know, before the, the big structures like the Ferrari, like Red Bull, like Mercedes, they could develop 10 different concepts of uh, aero car and to choose one and to put it on the track. So now they, they have to be really effective. They have to be really efficient on what they build, what they put on, on CFD, what they put on the twin tunnel, and at the end of the day, what they put on the car. So if you have a mistake, as they did, because it's, it's obvious that Mercedes has done a mistake at some point or something is not working as they as they expected, let's say, it's more difficult to react because you have only one opportunity. You cannot choose between the, the 10 uh, options you have on the table and you cannot develop 10 options and only choose one or two to go to the circuit. Uh, so it's even more more difficult. And and, and in some races, uh, it's, it's really difficult because you cannot test uh, three wings or three floors as they did on the past. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, it, it will take more time to, to them to, to be on the pace that they were expecting. And even maybe, who knows, just uh, get rid of everything uh, have done for this year and start thinking on the next year earlier than expected. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess this cost cap was brought in to make the sport fairer, to level the playing field. And do you think that the ultimate effect of it will be a, a reshuffled pecking order when we come to the last race of the season in Abu Dhabi? It's been done already. If we see that the, the team that has been dominating the Formula One last year, that is Mercedes, is struggling to, to, to lead the midfield, it means that something has changed a lot. What will happen from now up to the end of the season? Uh, I don't know. It, it will be difficult for the teams uh, to recover the time uh, compared to, to the two teams that uh, I think are dominating the Formula One right now, that is Ferrari 
and uh, Red Bull. Even Mercedes, if they can recover or they can get rid of the proposing that is damaging a lot the performance of the car, uh, and we don't know the real potential of, of the car, they don't know the real potential of the car because one thing is a simulation and another thing completely different is whatever you had on, on the car. We don't know if the car will be at the level where they can fight uh, uh, the same level of Ferrari and, and Red Bull. So. We will see. We will see. I'm, I'm sure that the teams are, are using all the, the tricks to, to keep that momentum of, of improvement and develop, uh, development of the car. But uh, we will have to see. The, the rules, as you said, are, are set in, in a way where the teams can converge, can merge in a, in a performance difference lower than that we have last year's. So probably we will see at the end of the season something closer. But uh, yeah, it's going to be... I, I don't expect too many changes, at least where the groups are, are set it up already with uh, Red Bull and Ferrari on top, and then the midfield that is going to be very tight and uh, a single tense will make a big difference. Well, have Alpine got any chance of being at the front of the midfield and what chance a Fernando Alonso podium at home, Albert? Ooh, that's difficult. I think that Alpine has lost a big opportunity at the beginning of the season because in some races they had a very quick car in qualifying, maybe not that quick on, on racing, but they had a, the proper setup, I think. They uh, spot on the right setup in terms of aero and the mechanical grip in some races. They were aggressive with the engine, I would say, as well, but they didn't uh, take that speed and convert it in, in points, uh, at least uh, on, on Fernando's side. So uh, I think they lost a big opportunity to get uh, earn a lot of points uh, at the first uh, five races of the season because of the reliability of the engine. That is a, uh, a point also to have in account or because of different uh, problems with the car that that's not uh, good for them. But right now, I think the, the chance of Fernando being in the podium ah, is always there. You know, he is a fighter. You, you, you know him. His talent is still there. Uh, he's still as hungry as it was uh, uh, 20 years ago. So if there is a chance, that he will take it. I'm, I'm pretty much sure about that. The other question is if the Alpine will be in a situation where uh, Fernando can, can develop all his uh, fantastic skills. Uh, not sure, not sure. So let's see what 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 he can do. Let's see if if things happen. It's going to be hot in Barcelona next uh, next week, so there will be a lot of degradation in a circuit that you know is uh, uh, putting a lot of energy to the tires. So there's still some some things that uh, there's quite a lot of question marks on the table. And if there is a chance, he will take it. I'm I'm pretty much sure about that. Albert, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to speak to you, and good luck uh, in your caravan for the remaining. 200 kilometers to Madrid and I suppose then back to Barcelona back to Barcelona and going to the camping of the circuit so I will be there if you want to test the uh, the simulator into the Fabre caravan that we, we call it uh, you are more than invited and you are more than welcome wonderful have you got a barbecue going yes Claro que sí. Yes. Claro que sí. <laughs> with 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 good 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 Catalan and good Spanish wine if you come. Oh, oh perfect. Right well. rico. <laughs> Albert, thanks so much. Good we'll luck with it. We'll see you at the weekend. Thanks so much, Albert. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Right, next up, let's go to another guest. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Jolien Palmer, a former Renault Formula One driver, 2014 GP2 champion as well. Jolien, great to have you on the show. Can we start by getting some reflections on Miami? Uh, first of all, the event as a whole. How'd you find it? It was really cool, I think, being out there for the first race. It was like a, um, a real one-off event. But as first races go, 
I mean, it was so cool. That it was it was star studded. The drivers loved it. There was just a, a fever atmosphere through um, through the whole city, wasn't there? Yeah, it was fantastic. And and from a performance point of view, what were your take homes in terms of the pecking order? Who you felt who who left Miami with a spring in their step? Uh, well, Red Bull and Verstappen, absolutely, because they won again. But then there's always the caveat of is the car reliable enough to to be a contender for the whole season? And that was shown really with with Max's problems on the Friday and Checo in the race as well, had, having some some engine gremlins. So no doubt they're very happy. And, and I think the way that Max won was just so encouraging, coming from behind both Ferraris, having not done any real running on Friday on a new circuit, and then to pass them both in the race and not really be challenged that hard after it. Maybe a few laps under safety car was a little bit sweaty for him, but you know the rest of the race, he was just stretching away. But... They still have the, the reliability concerns, which which aren't going away at the moment. And from a performance point of view, do we go to Barcelona needing Ferrari to respond? I think so. And I think Ferrari can respond. And that's the great thing about this fight. And it's been pretty close. And it's a bit of a weird one to say that they need to respond, having just taken a front row lockout in the last race. You know, they haven't really gone away as such. They're not missing a load of performance. But I think all the time that's passed, I've just felt slightly more that Ferrari could have done a bit more to try and win in Miami. I thought they were a bit conservative with the drivers in the race were a bit too kind, I think, to Max with, with Carlos letting him sweep around the outside at turn one. Tricky position for, for, for Carlos and he's had a, a run of incidents on, at the start. So maybe he was a bit, bit cautious, understandably. And then for Charles, the way that the, the, the move for the lead in the end was just a little bit easy, wasn't it? We, we're used to seeing Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen charging each other off the road, all guns blazing to try and just get their car in front at any moment in the race. And, I, and the battle this year has been brilliant between Leclerc and, and Verstappen, but there was, there was a, not really much defence from Leclerc against Max. And I, just, I don't know, I just, I just felt there could have been a bit more. JP, I think you're a hard man because with that straight line speed <laughs> advantage of the Red Bull, I, I'm not sure Charles could have done much more. Maybe not, but... It, it wasn't an easy track to overtake on. And because, because, because the pass came in the first 10 laps, you sort of felt like, oh, it was a slam dunk. It was always going to happen. The Red Bull's quicker on the straight. But then you look down the rest of the field and there wasn't that much overtaking. You look at Fernando Alonso was stuck and frustrated the whole time behind Pierre Gasly. Lewis Hamilton passed a couple of cars like in the first two laps and then got stuck behind Valtteri for, for a long time as well. Maybe you're right, and maybe the straight line speed would have just been too much. And it's, it's perfectly possible because Red Bull have got a big advantage there. But you've got to try, haven't you? If you don't try, then then you can't you can't hold on to the lead if you don't cover the inside against Max Verstappen at the moment. I thought this could be the new big rivalry between the two, and it is looking. I mean, it's great. The racing that they that we've had has been so clean, so so good from the two of them driving at such a high level. I'm just surprised how respectful it's been at the moment, considering there's a there's a, a potential world championship on the line. With every race that goes by, though, it looks more obvious. Like I'd, like one of these two is going to win. I think the the way that Ferrari are and Charles driving, the way that Red Bull are now coming on strong and Max is driving, it looks like it's you know Mercedes threats dwindling. Checo's been driving well, but he's not quite there with Max. Carlos has had a tricky start to the year. And when everyone else starts 
moving away and it becomes a two-horse race, I think that's maybe where you start to see the sparks fly, which is what we had last year. If it's already a two-horse race, are there going to be some difficult decisions for the Ferrari management? So are they going to have to say to Carlos Sainz, can you imagine he's about to win his first Grand Prix in Spain and they say, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Carlos, but you're going to have to let Charles through for the sake of the championship. Are there going to be some of those difficult decisions at Ferrari and Red Bull? I can pretty much guarantee it won't be this weekend if it does come for, for Carlos. Can you imagine telling him that he's got to get uh, out of the way? He'd ignore it, a, wouldn't he? And he's never won a race. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the trickiest one, is, is I think, for Carlos because he, he beat Charles in the, in the points as well last year. So I don't think I don't think the point comes just yet. We can all see the direction it's going, but you, you never say never and it just takes a couple of bad races and... and it can swing back round at this point. It's just the the relentless performance of those two sort of looks ominous for, for their teammates. And then eventually at some point, I think they have to 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 do as you say, just no way it's coming at the at the Spanish Grand Prix. It would be, I mean, so irksome for science to have to get out the way for his teammate at this stage in the in the championship. And he'll still think that he can he he will still think he can be champion. And you could cling on to the glimmer of hope and all it needs is is a Barcelona 2016. The two championship rivals take each other out. Someone else comes through to win. And they are all back in the fight. So it can change. And I think it's too early for team orders. I hate team orders, but it's probably inevitable. Yeah, it's going to come probably in half, halfway through the season, maybe, let's say. And, and Jolene, just very briefly, how do you see the midfield looking at this Spanish Grand Prix? Do you think Mercedes are still going to be at the front or do you think we're going to see McLaren? Let's not forget fastest in pre-season testing at Barcelona. How do you see it looking? I think McLaren could be strong. Mercedes, it's weird to, to say that Mercedes are in the midfield fight still, isn't it? Or Are they in the midfield fight, really? It's a strange one because they're, they're in their sort of like middle ground aren't they of being probably a little bit too strong for the absolute midfielders still particularly in race pace but they're nowhere near the 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 top guys so i still think mercedes when they get it right particularly if they have a clean grand prix should be should be clear of the field but mclaren are the team that i think this weekend in barcelona particularly can can come on strong i was out there for testing and and they look really good and then I couldn't quite believe it, how bad they were in Bahrain and all my, predictions were, <laughs> all my predictions just went straight out the window when they got no points and were trailing around at the back. They obviously have, have a decent enough car though. And I think they can come back. It's not a big braking, braking track for them, which was, was a lot of their issues early on. And Lando, I still think is driving so well and, and it's going to be a good chance for them. But there are quite a few teams in the midfield that have, proven already even in just five races that they can be best of the rest and Valtteri last time out in, in Miami was um, was brilliant for, for Alfa Romeo looking good for P5 for a while he actually thinks he can score a podium but he can you know we when you look at who's won races the last few years Esteban Ocon and Alpine if we were doing this podcast last year and and we were talking about is Esteban Ocon going to win the Hungarian Grand Prix we're like no way but sometimes in races things come up and then you've got to be, you know, the plucky midfielder on the day that takes charge of things. And a podium certainly is on the cards for Valtteri, I think. And, and the Alpine guys again this year looking quite good. Fernando Alonso has been the unluckiest driver of the, of the season so far, I think. Oh, it's been horrendous, isn't it? Two points. And what was he? He was looking good for a front row start until turn 12 or whatever it was in Australia, wasn't he? 
Yeah, he was flying and he's, he's been pretty quick all season, but Australia was the absolute one, the, the galling one for him, whereas he had a hydraulic failure in, in Q3. And then it just everything, even Imola, he starts in the top 10 and Mick Schumacher has a, a sort of his own moment and somehow swipes the side pod of Fernando, who, who's then out of the race. There's a lot of things just going wrong for him. And he, so I feel like he's due a bit of a bit of a good run. Home race for him coming up could be a chance. What about your former teammate, Kevin Magnussen? I mean, it's fairy tale stuff, isn't it? Yeah, he's he's just seems so relaxed. You've you've spoken to him this year already, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. And he was. He just said that year away has transformed me. I've now realised that there's more to life than just Formula One. And, you know, as a young driver in karting and then all the way through the junior formulas, it's all about the next step, all about the next step. Then you get to Formula One and it's all about the points finish and then, you know, trying to get on the podium and you just never come up for air and actually get some perspective on it all. And he's now got that and he thinks it makes him a faster racing driver. Whether it does, I don't know. What do you think? I think it can do, really. He's always been a fast racing driver and... I feel like as a, as drivers go, he's always been pretty relaxed and and more chilled out than some. But the pressures are relentless when you're racing, and and you always feel like, you know, especially if you're in a midfield, which which K Mag's always been in, and he obviously started his career so well at McLaren, but then was was dropped, and um, and has had a second wind and now a third wind. I think he accepted his fate after the last um, the last year when he was when he was in. So he, and and you say okay that's Formula One done for me, and then you you do relax and you become kind of like a, a slightly different person away from the pressure. I I was saying this having been through the same thing, but I'm not getting the second chance sadly. But I think for for K-Mac then to see Formula One, you you know the dream of every kid, come and then pass you by when when him and uh, and Grosjean were out at, at Haas. To then get a second chance is like a shot at nothing, really. Is he he thought he was done. He's come back, the car's pretty good, and he's still a very talented driver. So he's super relaxed and he's getting a lot out of a, a good car. And it's really great to see him in back in. When you were his teammate and you looked at his data, what are his greatest strengths as a driver? Hiding his data. <laughs> So he wasn't that relaxed then. He was, well, he was cunning. And I reckon he got it from um, driving with uh, with JB probably at, at, um, at McLaren or Fernando Alonso even, the, the two of them. He was around experienced guys. And he, he was, he's very, very quick, Kev. He's, he's very quick in the high-speed corners and he's good on big braking zones. He's, he's, a, he's a brave driver. It probably doesn't surprise anyone. But he wouldn't show his hand until the last minute. And when you're teammates all the way through your practice sessions, you're looking at telemetry. So every time the drivers are coming back in the garage, you're looking at the screens and on the screens, you're either looking at yourself on the TV in an awkward moment. You're looking at your, at your data compared to your teammate, which is, you know, the useful thing to do. And you're then looking and seeing, okay, I'm a, I'm a couple of tenths away from Kev. He's quicker there. I'm quicker there. Let's work on these corners. But he would never show his absolute pace through some of the big braking zones or the fast corners until qualifying. So you'd always it, it sort of lure you into a false sense of security. And I reckon maybe Mix found a similar thing early on this season, coming uh, against a bit more of a wily teammate, where you think you're in a decent position. You get to qualifying, and then suddenly, bam! He, he unleashes everything he's possibly got through some of these corners, and you thought you were doing pretty well, felt on the edge. But there's a whole new level there, and um, after a few times. 
I realized and I knew what was going on and you just never trust what he's, what he's showing you on the data, but he's just got a natural talent. I think that can go out and find it in those crucial, crucial moments where it counts. And it's, he was tough. I was a rookie at the time and he was a tough benchmark for that reason. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, look, final one then. What's your podium? What's your podium for the Spanish Grand Prix 2022? I, w- I really want to call it a Carlos Sainz win, but I just can't see it happening, sadly. E- so even I, if you, Ferrari turn up with a car capable of winning, you, st- you still can't see it. You know what? I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. I was about to err away, but there's, we're gonna, there's going to be a load of upgrades coming in Barcelona. It's always a track for, for upgrades. Ferrari have promised something on the car, the higher downforce track maybe is going to help them a little bit as well. And it's Carlos Sainz's home race. He's always been decent there. Let's go for a Sainz win. One, two lockout for, for Ferrari. And Max Verstappen third then. Okay. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Jolien, thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. So it's almost time to go racing again. Getting up at an unearthly hour on Thursday to fly. I think I think I, my alarm goes at about four on Thursday morning, but I do get an extra night at well, home. Well, I was going to say, why don't you fly out on Wednesday evening? I just like doing bath and bedtime. My husband insists on it. I'm not talking about the kids. <laughs> well, look, uh, don't sleep through your alarm. Look forward to seeing you. It's going to be a cracker. That's going to be such a good vibe. Pinks, let's end the show with our predictions. Okay, Lando's going to take his first win of his Formula One career. No, I I want the better story than that. I want Carlos Sainz to win his first Grand Prix at home in Barcelona. That's the headline for me. And that would also prove that Ferrari's upgrades have worked. And then McLaren maybe rounding out the podium? Yep, that would be great. I'd like to see Daniel. Daniel Ricciardo. Lando's fantastic, but... I'd like to see Daniel Ricciardo on the podium. A, because we love a shoey. Does he do a shoey if he doesn't win? Yeah, of course he does. But he's on the podium. Even if he's on the podium. Yes, Yes. absolutely. And let's put Fernando up there in third. Can you imagine Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso on the podium in Spain? Both drinking Daniel's toe jam. (laughs) Beautiful. I'd take that. F1 Nation will be back on Tuesday, the 24th of May, as we get La Ultima Palabra from the Spanish Grand Prix. That is the last word. And make sure you hit the follow button on your podcast app so you get the next episode as soon as it's released. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Hasta luego. 